Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. We're seeing these things and, and you need to be aware of it. Not only, of course, in the samples you send to PVAL, but God, who cares about those? <laughs> in the modules you sell to your customers, they're using the scorecard to say, hey, look at me. I can make as good a module as some of the manufacturers you've been buying from for years. The scale is unprecedented. For these manufacturers to be top performers in all categories, you know, that's a, an incredible result. Hey, yo, Solar Warriors, welcome back. This is Tactical Tuesday, conversations with subject matter experts designed to give you the practical tactical tools, tips, and advice to build your business and your career and grow with us here on Suncast and this clean energy revolution. You know, Thursdays are thoughtful, long-form deep dives into executives that are helping build the energy transition uh, as often founders and CEOs. And on Tuesdays, as I mentioned, we bring in subject matter experts, the who's who of the industry. They teach us the what, how, when, where, and why, the tools of the trade, as it were that you will use, put in your own toolkit, equip you to build on your own skill set. Today's expert guide is a longtime friend of the podcast, although it's been five years since Tristan Arian Larico has been on the show. Going to fix that, although he's had a couple of cameos here and there. Tristan brings more than 15 years of solar and electrical industry experience to PV Evolution Labs. That's probably a name that you've heard here a time or two. At the time that Tristan came on the show, he was a part of, or they were a part, were a part of BNVGL, and now they've independently gone back out and <laughs> been absorbed into another company. We'll talk about how and why that uh, matters and the work that Tristan brings to our industry from a quality management perspective that helps you select your PV products better, helps you know who is who, separate the wheat from the chef, as it were. One of the specific ways that Tristan and PVL add tremendous value to the industry is their annual PV module scorecard. We're going to dig into that and more today. And Tristan is going to wow us with his knowledge on how he qualifies, scores, ranks, and uh, compares solar manufacturers. But more than that, how he helps solar manufacturers raise the bar and their standard so that we get better products delivered to us each and every day. I'm super glad that you've joined us to level up your game. Remember, this and many more conversations are, of course, including that conversation five years ago with Tristan, are available on mysuncast.com in our back catalog. While you are at it, please subscribe to the show so you won't miss out on any of our twice-weekly content just like this. Phenomenal guests like Tristan who help expand our horizons and deepen our knowledge. But let's get down to business, Solar Warriors, and tune up your skills as we dig into another practical, tactical conversation here on Suncast. Well, I mentioned Tristan has been uh, on a five-year hiatus from Suncast. He, in the interim, has grown in uh, in stature and wisdom and knowledge and is now Vice President of Sales and Marketing at PVL, a Kiwa Group company. Tristan, first of all, welcome back to the show, my friend. It's been too long. Yeah, I, it, it has been too long, but uh, I've been listening ever since. And it's great to see how the show has grown, how your listenership has grown. And uh, really happy to be to be back here chatting with you. Yeah, man. Well, I, likewise, you uh, you were one of the first that actually featured as a Tactical Tuesday, as I recall, because you had you do have very specific and practical uh, experience in the work that you do. Man, what a roller coaster! Uh, mostly up and to the right for the PVL folks, though. Um, you guys were part of DNV GL, and and then you separated, sort of, you know, bought yourselves back. We're operating independently. Why don't, for those who are unfamiliar, can you give the two-minute version of who the Kiwa Group is and why PVL is now part of Kiwa Group? Yeah, so Kiwa is much more known in the, in Europe than in North America, but it's a 10,000-person company uh, founded in 1948, and they're, they're quite popular in certification, inspection, and testing for other yeah. industries. Yeah. Um, you know, if you want your wastewater certified if that's a thing in uh, in Europe you'll probably use Kiwa so right. they're they're trying to expand they are expanding into into solar uh, they acquired PVL a, a year later and about you know a year or more ago they acquired PI Berlin which PVL had worked closely with you know even back when they were solar buyer 
Um, yeah. And, you know, it just so happens that uh, there's lots of acquisitions. Oh, in wait, this so industry. PI Berlin was Solar, Solar Buyer. Yeah, yeah. Solar Buyer. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, makes yeah, sense. So, yeah, we've been working hand in hand with, with them with complementary services for years. Yeah. And, you know, it's great to all be under under one roof. And I just got back from uh, Intersolar Munich and hanging out with the Kiwa team in, in Europe and the PI Berlin team. And, you know, there's there's lots of great um, synergies to use that overused term um, between the, the various organizations. So fresh off of not only uh, Intersolar, but PV Module Tech only weeks after launching the 2023 PV Module Scorecard, I suspect that there are a lot of learnings that we're going to transfer to uh, both to myself and to our listeners today. I'd love to kickstart the conversation, Tristan, with, you know, I, I mentioned in the outset that the I think it's probably the, one of the marquee products that PVL produces that you've led for years um, is this PV module scorecard. How do you distinguish in a world of sort of comparison charts and uh, Bloomberg tier one lists and such, why the PV module scorecard is an important metric or selection criteria that installers really should be paying attention to? Yeah. So really, you know, tier one is do do six banks take about a half a million dollar risk on these products? And as long as you have six banks over the last two years that took that risk, you're tier one. It doesn't say anything about reliability or, or quality of the modules. It kind of assumes that those banks will do their due diligence, but it's it's not a quality or reliability metric. Uh, yeah. Similarly, the the PV Tech and their bankability pyramid that they put out every quarter, mm -hmm. same sort of thing. It's not looking at reliability. So really, the the industry's the industry's document to find out about module reliability is the PVL scorecard, and that that mm -hmm. was abundantly true, you know for the, the US market for years. And now just having come back from InterSolar in Germany, you know, Europe's using it as well to, to really help define, wow. define, you know, who can make reliable modules. That's fantastic. So I guess one of the things that you probably know more or less off the top of your head, how many PV module manufacturers are you aware of out there right now? Oh, geez, there was over 150 module manufacturers at InterSolar. And there wow. was probably, you know, three or four times that at the SNEC conference in Shanghai mm -hmm. right. um, last last month. So yeah. there's at least 300 that we're, yeah. we're aware of and that, that we're tracking. Yeah. So the PV module scorecard goes through the uh, PVL's PQP process. You can explain what PQP is as well as a part of the, I, I suppose, as part of the question I'm going to ask, how does a manufacturer become eligible to participate in this PV module reliability scorecard? So the manufacturers sign up for testing. Uh, and, and as you mentioned, the PQP or the product qualification program, that's what they're signing up for. Mm -hmm. uh, it starts with a factory witness. We go to the factory and we see the samples being made, unlike with certification mm -hmm. testing, where, you know, you can choose golden samples and cherry pick the best of the best. For for our uh, PQP testing, we want to be in the factory, see those modules being made, and importantly, record the bill of material. Every mm -hmm. manufacturer listed in the scorecard, it represents a model type of theirs, one or more listed in the scorecard. And mm -hmm. each of those model types had bill of materials that we tested. So, you know, as, as much as we like highlighting which manufacturers did well and which models did well, it's really mm -hmm. which bill of materials did well. And, you know, for the big buyers, they're drilling down into that bill of material information. Right. And, and they're procuring the specific cells and encapsulant. Right. You know, that combination is what they're buying, not just the model that was listed in the scorecard. So that's right. that's one of our, you know, strong recommendations when when putting this document out. And and in the document, it doesn't list the particular um, suppliers of that bomb, does it? Or or it does? Goes into no, detail. That, it, it doesn't go into that detail, but that information is available from PVAL. You know, the, the manufacturers have to approve for us. We don't just like say, hey, here's what all the best <laughs> yeah. encapsulants that, you know, 
Uh, and now smaller manufacturers or whomever can just steal that IP. It's the, right. the manufacturers own that. But, um, you know, we, we've seen lots of cases where you change the encapsulant, the PID performance, which is one mm-hmm. of the, the tests we do, changes. Or yeah. the damp heat results or some of these extended reliability tests can have significant differences yeah. on two different bill of material combinations from the same manufacturer they change even just one component and the wheels fall off. So, um, but going back to your previous question, you know, once we get the samples, the PQP is really a set of extended reliability tests that go well beyond what's required for baseline certification. Certification's great. It sets the minimum bar for anyone to sell modules, but it doesn't help you know, the developers, the investors, your listeners determine which modules are good. Just saying, oh, right. it's certified. This should last on my roof for the next 25 years right. or my client's roof or out mm-hmm. in a field for yeah. 30 or 40 years. That's not the question certification is trying right. to answer. It is the question that PVAL PQP is trying to answer. Yeah. And what we've seen all too often in the field is certified modules warranted by global billion dollar bank, uh, sort of bankable um uh, companies with balance sheets have uh, delaminating issues. They have snail trail issues. They have um, yellowing front sheet or glass issues, right? They have um, all kinds of problems, uh, you know, whatever they might have used to tab the cells together. Uh, degradation in, uh, in the transfer of electrons from cell to cell. And that comes down to the bill of materials, the bomb, as they call it, exactly how that product is built. And what I hear you saying is that through extensive testing at PVEL and through the PQP process, you are able to triangulate for developers and, and even installers. What specific BOM have um, historically produced higher yieldings, lower deg- degra- degradation, higher yielding product, i.e. like it, certain encapsulants have, you've been able to triangulate and say like, well, this kind of product mix is historically yielding errors in the field or lower performance in the field. Is that right? Uh, So we don't actually say, you know, here's the best bill of material in the world. That is the manufacturer's IP. And we don't, you know, they they trust us with recording that bill of material information. We're not going to tell other manufacturers what to use. And there's also, you know, a lot of uh, process control steps that go into making a good module. But what we can say is, you know, here's the module that did well, and here's the factory witness report that downstream companies can sign up and get access to that data as long right. as the manufacturer approves. Here's the factory witness report with all of those bomb details. Right. And you shouldn't allow the bill of material to change without additional testing because we've seen, you know, that those changes yeah. can impact the reliability. I love that. It's it's holding actually the manufacturers to a specific standard they didn't have before as well. And I'm sure certainly for the larger developers, the next eras of the world that are buying gigawatts of solar panels, this is a super important um, element that they integrate into their procurement process. How does that trickle down for for the smaller guys? You know, I mean, in theory, this um, this PV module scorecard, reliability scorecard allows everyone to sort of level set and see uh, a broad category of folks that are top performers. We'll get into what top performer is, but is the report itself free? Um, what sort of what do folks have to do to get the report? And then, secondly, if I wanted to drill down and get into that bill of material and get access to the the witness report, is that something that's sort of only reserved for PVL clients, or is there some other threshold that has to you have to cross? Yeah. So, in terms of the scorecard, that is publicly available. You know, scorecard.pval.com. You can go and you can read up about all of the different tests we're doing. What are some key takeaways of the tests? And most popular, you can go to our top performer search result tool and look at, you know, what were the TopCon modules or what were the 400 watt power range modules that were top performers? You can see which tests they were top performers in. You can even click on the manufacturer's logo and send them an email right within the scorecard, um, asking them for a quote or saying, hey, I saw these modules, they're of interest to me, tell me more about them. So it's really a a great interactive tool to find modules that did well in testing. Now to go a level deeper and get access to 
the bill of material information, you have to sign up as a PVAL downstream partner. And we've had lots of people that send us generic Gmail addresses to sign up as a downstream <laughs> partner. And we say, ah, this is a little too sketchy. So we need, you know, your company email address will go on your website, f- confirm that you are indeed a module purchaser. And then you're, you sign up as a downstream partner and you can get access to the PVAL portal where these test results are, are held. And some manufacturers decide to freely share those test reports on the portal. Mm-hmm. Others are a little bit more uh, cagey with their data, shall we say, in which case PVAL can act as uh, a go-between from the buyer to the manufacturer and, and outside of the portal get approval to share those reports. And I think even if you're buying you know, a relatively small quantity of modules, you can still try to ask for that bill of material data, try to ask for the test data from, from PVAL and the test reports, and then ask the manufacturer. In some cases, they'll say no. Um, but I also think, and maybe we'll get into this later as a key takeaway from Module Tech and Intersolar, the bal- balance of power uh, is switching. You know, We're going from mm. an undersupplied market to an oversupplied market. And in the past, you know, for for the past few years, manufacturers could say, "No, I'm not going to send you that data. You don't you don't need it. I'll sell these modules to someone else." Uh, that's switching. And now with an oversupplied market, you know, I think that the the downstream companies will be able to ask for more and have a long list of manufacturers that want their business. If that manufacturer says, "No, I'm not going to send you bomb information. You're too small," well, move on to the next one. I love that. I was showing as you were speaking the website that you referenced. And for those who want to dig deeper, we'll link to this. And if you're watching with along with us on uh, on YouTube, you'll see here an incredible breadth of data that's available. We're going to dig down into what some of this data means. But you can see here that, uh, you know, it, it covers every element of how the scorecard comes together in a way that I haven't seen you guys do before. And I just uh, you know, want to commend you. I think that it's incredible the level of uh, sort of even just like the level of data that you're sharing on the website that you can drill down to each of the top performers, as you can see here on the screen, 247 model types from 35 manufacturers. And you can even export all of this data in a CSV. You know, numerous pages here, I'm sure that you can click through. All of you who like to geek out on data, trust me. Tristan's got your back. He is a data nerd himself and loves to uh, to take care of you in that way. Uh, you know, we had you on an episode last week with Trina Solar. You can see here, Trina's nine-time top performer. I love that you can see how many times they've been in the scorecard and a little bit more about the company and uh, and you can click through to exactly their data, which is helpful. Um, this is, uh, it's just a fantastic resource for the industry. It's one of the key reasons why I wanted to highlight this product for those who maybe have never heard of the module reliability scorecard. Tristan, one of the things that is a key term that you use is this terminology top performer. There's kind of two things that happen here. One, they will you'll open the record the this report card and you'll see Jinko and Trina at the top. And the first instinct folks have is like, oh, what they're saying is Jinko and Trina are the best in the industry. Um, help us understand the nature of what a top performer means. And then let's talk about just the number of top performers this year compared with previous years. Yeah, certainly. So a top performer is someone who who on one or more reliability tests has less than 2% degradation and no other failures. You know, we do, we flash test the modules before and after these very strenuous tests. And uh, we also do some other characterizations. And if they have a failure in those other characterizations, even if their power loss is low, you know, if your power loss is low, but your connectors are all melted, you're not a top performer. Um, so that's that's one aspect as well. Um, and then for the pan testing, which more is more of the module performance measurement, mm-hmm. um, we we put those pan files into some PVSYS simulations and we yep. see who had the highest a specific energy yield, you know, the number of kilowatt hours produced per kilowatt peak. And based on that, uh, the top 25% of models are, are top performers. So that's the mm-hmm. one that's kind of benchmarked against the population, whereas the yeah. others are more, you know, less than 2%, they're a top performer. And you'll mm-hmm. see that some manufacturers are top performers in 
multiple categories and some, I shouldn't just say manufacturers, but some models are top performers in mod multiple categories. Others are only top performers in, in one or two. Um, so that's where you can really dig into the data and see that. Well, Tristan, as I mentioned, there seem to be more top performer manufacturers this year than ever before. What, uh, what can you tell me about that trend? Yeah, so you're you're absolutely right. There's 35 top performer manufacturers. The most we've had before this is 26. And, you know, I think the trend is that manufacturers are now seeing this as a requirement for market acceptance. You mm. know, we have the manufacturers that have been working with us for many years, Jinko, Trina, JA, Qcells, uh, people of that or manufacturers of that nature, you know, they're they're still in it, but at the same time we have manufacturers that are are up and coming that you know maybe people in the US market haven't heard of or in other markets mm -hmm. uh, companies like MV from India they're brand yeah. new in the scorecard uh, Huasun uh, they made a great results on their uh, heterojunction modules um, solar space premier and other Indian manufacturers those are some of the eight brand new top performers to the scorecard and yeah. to be honest we've got more more new manufacturers in our, our chambers right now. So probably in 2024, we're also going to see another step function change in the number of, of manufacturers participating. It just seems to be, I bet you know, it's become something that you need to do in order to gain acceptance from module purchasers. When I look at the results and key takeaways, you focus on a handful of kind of key things. Obviously, there's degradation trends, but one of the things that stuck out to me was the comparison between glass glass and glass back sheet. Um, this is more for those who understand how solar panels go together. <laughs> Not going to do a 101 on the difference of and what is back sheet, but what can you tell me about the key takeaways that you discovered through comparing these glass on glass modules, um, which many of the or most of the bifacial modules tend to be, and glass on back sheet, which seems to be the prevailing kind of um, packaging, if you will, for more of the residential module. And even tell me if I've mischaracterized it as well. Yeah, no, I, I think uh, you characterized it correctly. We're, we are still seeing um, or we are seeing bifacial modules with uh, a back sheet, a transparent back sheet on them. And again, mm -hmm. you can go and search the top performer bifacial glass back sheet and and see which manufacturers are listed for those. Uh, but in general, yeah, we looked at the trends and across a, a number of tests, the glass glass modules are performing better uh, with lower degradation rates. Two of the you know more traditional reliability tests are thermal cycling and damp heat. And mm -hmm. you know, go to the scorecard, read up. You'll mm -hmm. you'll learn probably more than you want to about those two tests about what they and, are, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and why we do them and why they're important for modules uh, under some of them that are underperforming in the field. You know, we have field case studies for all of these tests, but in any case, uh, glass glass is performing better for for those two tests, and you know, generally, glass glass modules have maybe less degradation in the warranties and longer warranties. You know, mm. historically manufacturers with their glass glass modules were offering 30 year warranties yeah. when glass back sheet would only have 25 year warranties. You know, I think we're, we're seeing in our data that there is lower degradation of glass glass modules. Now at the same time, we see that there's higher glass breakage for glass mm -hmm. glass modules in our mechanical load testing right. and in our hail testing. So yeah. Probably glass glass is the way to go if you're not installing them in extreme environments. If you mm -hmm. are installing them in extreme environments, you're probably going to want a glass back sheet module because the the glass is thicker on the front of the module with glass back sheet and it's fully tempered and it's just basically yeah. stronger than, than yeah. glass glass. Let's actually get into that because I remember a conversation that you had recently with with John Weaver, where you got into some of the specifics about the thickness, and it actually really surprised and enlightened me. Can you talk specifically to the difference in thickness and how that affects the ability to temper and why that matters on glass glass versus glass back sheet? Yeah, sure. So so the tempering process is heating the, the glass up after manufacturing and then rapidly cooling it. As I understand it, I'm not, I don't do glass yeah. manufacturing, so I'm not, I'm not the glass expert, but that's how I understand it. And it there's an internal tension inside the glass that brings that strength. 
And mm-hmm. once the glass breaks, it's like a front windshield. You know, there's t- many multiple tiny pieces of glass when mm-hmm. a fully tempered piece of glass breaks. And it's extremely strong on direct hits. You hit it from the side, from the edges of the glass, and it, it breaks immediately with very little force. But wow. the strength is all on the, the front or the, the back, you know, the, the, the mm-hmm. face of the glass. Um, yeah. But you need a certain thickness in order to have that tension build up in the glass. And for most manufacturers, that's 3.2 millimeters. Some glass manufacturers can fully temper 2.8 millimeters. I just heard in at Intersolar of, of one manufacturer that can fully temper thinner glass than that. Um, but generally, you know, it needs to be 3.2 or 2.8 millimeters to be fully tempered. Now, thinner glass goes through the same heat heat treatment process, but it doesn't become fully tempered. And that glass will break like a broken mirror, you know, in right. shards, so to speak, yeah. uh, large, large pieces. And so it would be considered heat strengthened, but not fully tempered. And I, my understanding is the difference in glass strength is about 2x between heat strength and, and fully tempered. So, you know, if you're talking about hail resistance, we, we see twice as much glass breakage, if, if not more, um, with, with um, glass glass because it's not fully tempered and it's thinner glass versus glass back sheet where you get the advantage of the, the higher strength due to tempering and, and more thickness. You know, another result that I feel folks are coming around to, perhaps even surprised by it, is how cell technology is evolving. Uh, heterojunction is by no means a new technology, but it was a technology that Sony, I believe, was it Sanyo? Sanyo had Sanyo. had the heterojunction technology patent for, I don't know, 25 years, 30 years, whatever it is. And then it finally came out of patent uh, just like the Pringles can. And now everybody can use that same, <laughs> same format. Um, but we've seen these two different technologies rise to the top of the of the top performer charts, as it were, and sort of take over from the previous king of the throne, which was perk cell technology. What can you tell us about the rise of Topcon and HJT or heterojunction technology that um, is challenging the incumbent of perk, and why are they performing better, or how are they performing in your reliability testing? Yeah, I, I would say that they're kind of re- reaching the level of PERC, which is, you know, an established technology that is generally performing quite well. Now, we've got mm-hmm. outliers that aren't doing as well. And I should mention, you know, across our testing, normally things are a good news story. You know, we're confirming that the modules yeah. perform the way the manufacturer has claimed. And it's right. third-party recognition of that, as opposed to, you know, we're constantly finding you know, huge issues. We do find issues occasionally and enough that it justifies why we're doing this testing. But, right. um, you know, generally things are performing as as expected. And PERC is a more established technology. And we're starting to see TopCon results that are just as good as PERC. And mm-hmm. in, in some cases, HJT as well. Now, at the same time with the performance testing that we do for the, that pan file generation, we're seeing that, you know, HJT is outperforming TopCon and TopCon is significantly outperforming PERC, both on the uh, temperature coefficients. So both HJT and TopCon perform much better at high temperatures than a PERC module. And also with their bifaciality, um, HJT just intrinsically has higher bifaciality than TopCon, which has higher bifaciality than PERC. So not only are you getting higher efficiencies and higher power classes, because of the higher bifaciality and better um, temperature coefficients, you're going to get higher energy yields uh, that might not be reflected necessarily in the higher front side efficiency. Um, so it's all around, you know, a better performing module that we're starting to see can have as good reliability as PERC modules. So, you know, that's that's why TopCon is, is going to push into the industry and and kind of muscle perk out. HJT, yeah. I think, is still going to be somewhat niche. Switching mm-hmm. your manufacturing from perk to Topcon is 
is a much lower lift than going from PERC to HJT. You basically need a whole new cell factory, whole new module factory, where TopCon, you can just add some equipment and, and you're rolling. You know, when you partner with our partner, Trina Solar US, you get more than best-in-class Vertex modules. You also gain a bankable partner for optimized compatibility and improved system value. With the Trina Pro Utility Scale Solution, or C&I Solutions, Trina Solar is the only PV module manufacturer in the United States that offers one-stop system integration solutions, including Trina Tracker, inverters, and full BOS support to lower your levelized cost of electricity. Learn more at mysuncast.com forward slash Trina. Have you been curious about utility scale storage? SunGrow's revolutionary liquid cooled solution is revolutionizing the storage landscape. It's built in DC to DC coupling combined with other features like higher energy density and 3% slower battery degradation make it a robust solution that companies nationwide are choosing. You can learn more about this innovative solution by SunGrow by visiting mysuncast.com forward slash SunGrow. I'd like to talk a bit, Tristan, about the failure rates. One of the things that manufacturers have been tepid about for years in terms of a scorecard or reliability testing generally and publishing that is that they don't want to talk about failure. Uh, you've continually reported relatively high module failure rates in your scorecards. Can you talk about whether that's gotten worse or better. I mean, one of the things that just floored me from your stats is that 54% of manufacturers do experience a failure in testing. Yeah, I don't think it's gotten better. Uh, it hasn't gotten too much worse, but it it hasn't gotten it hasn't gotten better. We've been reporting on failures uh, basically in the last nine scorecards. You know, we we do a lot of characterizations of modules. There's a significant opportunity for for modules to fail, but you know, we see some a, a lot of the failures we're seeing are basic things like they didn't use enough potent inside the junction box or and that's that's what keeps the moisture outside mm. of the junction box. And one of our tests is um we submerge the module and we yeah. do an electrical safety test. And if if moisture was able to get through the junction box to the electrical parts, you're going to fail that test. Yeah. And, um, you know, we're also seeing uh, soldering issues inside the junction boxes, as I, as I might have mentioned earlier, melted connectors, you know, some, some pretty basic things that have not much to do with Topcon or HJT or <laughs> or you know moving the industry forward. You know we've we've seen these junction box failures for years, so that's a concern. And we also saw a big spike this year, as reported in the 2023 scorecard, in initial failures. So these are you know the module fails. We we unpack it, and in some cases the junction box lids were inside the pallet when we took out the modules. And like you failed before we even started. So, wow. you know, think things of that nature. We've also taken the modules, put them outside for some light soaking till they so they stabilize before these extended duration stress tests. And we bring them back in and the power labels are, are peeling off. And <laughs> you know, according wow. to to IEC standards, the power labels are supposed to stay on the module for the life of the module. If you don't know what the module is in five, 10, 15 years, you got a problem. Especially if you have a hundred thousand of those modules, and now the power labels are just blowing around your site. Um, so you know some pretty basic things that like we we're we're trying to highlight um, so that the industry can can address those. And I think you know to be honest, a lot of the failures that that we highlight are are addressable items. And yeah. and you know we we try to coach the manufacturers that do our testing in like, hey, look. We're seeing these things and, and you need to be aware of it. Not only, of course, in the samples you send to PVAL, but God, who cares about those? In the <laughs> modules you sell to your customers, you know, make sure you're sourcing the right power labels and that you're putting the lids on properly and you're soldering the junction boxes correctly and potting them correctly, et cetera. So I, I think 
as much as the downstream learns from our results, the manufacturers yeah. are super interested in that too, so that they they know the pitfalls and they're making a higher quality product. You know, uh, one of the things that folks might recognize if they've walked around, uh, if they've walked around RE Plus or other trade shows or gone all the way to SNEC and seen the hundreds of module models that are being introduced is that over the last few years, a couple of other iterations or trends have been introduced that I wonder if they have improved on further reducing, you know, improving yield, but also reducing failures. And that is half cut cells and multi bus bar. Uh, what can you tell me about some of these uh, in sort of packaging innovations? Yeah. So I, I think, you know, we've been reporting on multi bus bar for many years. Um, like a lot of technologies, we see uh, we saw a large range of kind of soldering issues. Some manufacturers doing it well, some doing it poorly, and then each scorecard it kind of got better and better until you know the multi bus bar soldering issues have been solved. The industry's learned how to solder them effectively, and it's an established technology. Similarly for half cut. You know, we would see issues previously where the, some manufacturers weren't cutting the cells correctly and, and causing forms of degradation, other manufacturers doing it well. And then enough is learned throughout the industry that basically everyone does it well. And then, you know, now we introduce Topcon and HJT um, and we start that kind of learning learning process again. But yeah, I, I would say both half cut and multi bus bar; those are industry standard, and you know they don't they don't present a lot of risks. Now, for some manufacturers, they're probably changing their lines over, and it's a new technology to them. So I would want more scrutiny with with them. But general as a general statement, those are established technologies within the industry. There's a couple of things I want to highlight um, in terms of kind of who stands out or what you see stands out from a technology or, or, or region perspective. But um, you mentioned with the highest number of top performers, yeah, 35, uh, there were a lot of new entrants. I think you numbered them at eight um, that had never been in the scorecard before. What could you tell me about these new entrants uh, that you see as a trend or something that installers and developers really should be thinking about or or uh, considering in their procurement process. I'm curious as well if there's any one vendor or region that really truly surprises you or stands out for you. Yeah, I guess I guess a few things. And, you know, I, I'm, I don't know how many Europeans listen to the Suncast, but what, what we saw this year was that of those 35 top performers, seven of them have zero sales, zero track record in the U.S. They are not focused on selling in the U.S. at all. And they're going into the scorecard to gain market share for Europe and Australia and Japan and other markets, where traditionally the scorecard's been really focused on U.S. manufacturers, sorry, not U.S. manufacturers, manufacturers selling into the U.S. Now we're seeing that, hey, I'm not selling into the U.S., but this is a great tool for me to reach new new customers. So I think that's been really encouraging um, for, for PVAL. And for Kiwa, you know, this is now truly a global program. Um, so that's interesting. The other thing to, you know, to call out one region on the spot here, you know, we have more top performers from India than we have previously. Yeah, that definitely um, stood out to me. Yeah, we had, you know, Adani, Vikram, they're both long-term top performers. Now this year, Wari's in, in their second scorecard, they were first in 2022 and I, yeah. you know, MV premier, you know, we're seeing a lot of Indian manufacturers that see the U S as a great market for them. They're, they don't have the price points to be able to sell into Europe. You know, they're, they're competing against the Chinese manufacturers uh, that produce in China um, and, and they just can't hit those price points. But in the U S you know, those Chinese modules cannot be shipped into the U S without high tariffs. So that's where Indian manufacturers are focused there and they, they're using the scorecard to say, hey, look at me. I can make as good a module as some of the manufacturers you've been buying from for years. You know, you and I talked offline a little bit about an element of production that given that we've got 15 plus years experience sort of watching how this industry has unfolded can is a little jaw dropping for those of us who are old fogies in the industry. And that is the general volume of 
of production capacity of these new entrants. I mean, it truly is staggering. You, you've mentioned that there uh, was someone who like that traditionally someone would come to market with somewhere in the, you know, one to two gigawatt range. And you had heard anecdotally that someone said they didn't want to um, c- come test until they had 10 gigawatts or something like that. Can you, what, what, are you, what are you seeing in the field in terms of just volumes that surprises you and that you think developers uh, by and large, maybe because they're only focused on those who sell to the US, don't realize about the nature of how the industry is just really blossoming? Yeah, I mean, doing some some simple math here. So Trina... Not to pick on them, they've announced that they'll have, I believe, 90 gigawatts of module capacity by the end of 2024. So if all of those are 550-watt modules, and I know Trina has a large product portfolio, but maybe that's the average power, that's 163 million modules that they'll they'll have capacity to produce. Who knows how many of those they'll actually produce? But, Mm -hmm. you know, you divided that by 52 weeks of the year, they're, they're shipping or they would have capacity to ship 3 million modules a week. A week. Or half a million modules a day. And, you know, when I started at Silfab, we were at um, <laughs> 60 megawatt of capacity. We, When I left, we were at 300 megawatt. I was in charge of, of product and quality there. And, mm-hmm. you know, a 300 megawatt factory, we were very busy ensuring every module shipped was of the highest quality. And, you know, we would have been lucky. I don't I, I don't want to do the quick math, but we would have been lucky to sell, you know, the number of modules Trina is set to produce in a day would be, I don't know, a year or two um, of, yeah. of self-fabs production at the time. So it's, it's just the incredible scale. And, you know, that's kind of on the high end, but you take a one gigawatt manufacturer and they're 550 watt modules, that's... Uh, almost two module, two million modules a year. So the the scale is, you know, unprecedented. And you know, the PVL PQP is is one tool for qualifying module manufacturers. I think it's it's a great tool, but it's it it shouldn't end there. Um, and for a lot of the large buyers, they're they're doing factory audits by PI Berlin, our sister company within Kiwa. They're also deploying PI Berlin and other similar companies to the factories. They're doing module acceptance testing as the modules come to site, et cetera, et cetera. Because they know that you know a, a one gigawatt factory producing 2 million modules a year, that's, that's a high opportunity for, um, for issues. And they, they want to catch those now not catch them in year 10, year 15, as as the modules degrade. You point out as a final note that there were sort of all-star reports, uh, results. 13 manufacturers are top performers in every reliability test across the board and certainly dig into the reliability test um, features of, uh, um, of damp heat and thermocycling. I don't even know what MSS stands for, but PID, LID, LETID, all these acronyms, acronym soup, they are important tests for the industry. But Tristan, five of those model types were also top performers in PAN, which is basically PVSYST yield modeling. I was wondering if uh, you might be willing to highlight for those of us who haven't had time to go in and sort of parse the data, who are those five? Because for me, I look at the all-star results and of the 13 manufacturers that were top performers, the five top models that um, were top performers in PAN seems to me like a, a, a list that I'd want to know about. Yeah, so you're putting put me a little on the spot, but here let me share my screen. Of course, I always have the scorecard as one of my open tabs, as you all should. Uh, <laughs> exactly. So we're at. I figure it's your background. It's your screensaver. It's. <laughs> we're at scorecard.pval.com/slash/top-performers. We can scroll down to our search tool here, and looking at PQP tests, we're going to hit select all. So that means we're selected on thermal cycling, damp heat, uh, MSS, which is the mechanical stress sequence, PID, Mm, LID, and LETID, and PAN. And that Mm -hmm. brings up the five uh, model types that were top performers in all categories. So Jinko's up there. Uh, Yingli had had one. uh, Telesun, Wari, and then a company, one of the companies that is not focused on selling into the U.S., uh, E.G. Ng, 
they also were yeah. were a top performer in all categories. And and you know, scrolling up, you can see that we've got 247 model types listed from 35 manufacturers. So for these manufacturers to be top performers in in all categories, you know, that's a an incredible result. It is, it is indeed. And uh, kudos to those manufacturers for uh, a uh, focusing on quality and b getting their product into PVL in time to be in- included in this this year's scorecard. It does go to show that you have to be uh, you have to be proactive. And all of the uh, top performers were. Um, my hats off to uh, those who see the opportunity in the United States. The vast um, number of gigawatts that are being installed and are taking seriously the selection criteria that installers and developers are using, including PVL's PV module reliability scorecard. Well, my friend, in the last five years since I've had you on, you've kind of become a big deal. And I'm honored that you would take the time to swing through Suncast Studios and record another insightful episode with us, help our audience learn more about what it actually takes to qualify uh, as a reliable PV module. It's something that uh, we can't take for granted. Uh, We can't take for granted that our distributors are doing this work for us. We can't take for granted that our procurement teams in-house understand all of the the detail required. So that's why we have wonderful companies like PVEL helping uh, do the heavy lifting, testing, scoring, sorting the wheat from the chef. Tristan, uh, you know, one thing that I... um, that I have always admired is that you uh, readily uh, shine light on others. And uh, I wanted to just give you an opportunity if, if you want um, in the last five years, since we've had a chance to have a longer conversation, who has inspired you or, uh, you know, just on whose shoulders have you been standing? I'd love to hear your thoughts on uh, as a, as a sort of final note, uh, the folks that you have been learning from and admire in the industry as well. Yeah, thank you for that opportunity. You know, in in 2018, when you interviewed me and I talked about my somewhat unconventional way of ending up in this role at PVL, I, I mentioned a number of mentors and supporters. Um, it turned out that those were all male, and after list, listening to it back afterwards, I thought, geez, that was not how I want to represent myself and represent all the amazing women that have, you know, whose shoulders I'm, I'm standing on. Um, so yeah, allow me to name a, a few of those. Uh, first, you know, Tara Doyle, who you give shouts out on, you know, I'm a regular listener to Suncast and she's often oh, yeah. mentioned, allow me to mention her again. Um, she yeah. was my boss who hired me at, at PVEL. Um, she's no longer with the company, but you know, I think about her often. Every year, we try to make the scorecard the best scorecard ever, and I think I'm hopeful that the and the feedback I get is that every year we do make it the best scorecard ever. Um, but I often channeled her going through the process this year, which was yeah. truly the first year she wasn't involved with it. Thinking wow. like, well, what? How would Tara do this? Or you know, what would <laughs> what would Tara do here? So um, definitely you got little bracelets inside of PVL WWTD. <laughs> yeah, indeed, indeed. Um, and then, you know, I also mentioned on on that episode from 2018, my my dad and his influence. I, you know, regretfully failed to mention my mom. She really showed me and my siblings the meaning of of dedicated hard work and and following your passion. And you know, yeah. how, you'll be successful as long as you're you're doing that. Um, and then finally, of course, my wife Adrian. Um, without her, I I wouldn't be in the industry. She was supportive of me going from working a night shift at an electrical supply factory to taking a pay cut and and working at Silfab and starting from the bottom as a production technician at Silfab. And, you know, if I'm a big deal, it's because she's a a bigger deal. And she's she's, uh, the meaning of perfection is shown in everything she does. And she really sets the bar high for, for me and our kids. And you know, huge shout out to her and the many other women that um, have have inspired me and that in the solar industry are are really killing it. We need more of you. And, you know, it's important for us to to make space and and give recognition where it's due. Tristan, thank you for taking time to join us today. I look forward to the many questions and insights that we glean 
on this coming Thursday on our live broadcast where we dig into the N-Type TopCon module. But for now, I just want to say thanks for taking the time out of your busy day to be here on Suncast again. Thanks, Nico. And I look forward to seeing you in person uh, when our paths cross again. All right. Well, that's a wrap on today's practical insights from this longtime solar warrior, Tristan Arian Larico. Tristan, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on Suncast and share with us the PVL module reliability scorecard. And how about you? Are you going to be integrating this into your selection criteria? Do you have other questions that come up for you around the TopCon module or HJT or just general questions for Tristan? I neglected to ask Tristan to share his contact details, but you can always find them on our website, as well as right in the description is a link to the show notes. The show notes are where we capture all of our research and social media links, as well as contact information for all of our guests for this and every other of our 600 plus episodes. I hope that you'll click through, go to the show notes, let Tristan know how this uh, impacted you. Leave a comment on the post that we've made on LinkedIn about this very episode. And also, don't forget to register for this coming Thursday's live broadcast where Tristan and Paul Heidish and Lucas Mora are going to dig in deeper on the N-Type TopCon module and why you can't afford to miss out on this particular trend, especially for the residential solar market. I hope that you'll join us there, and I know that it will add value to your business. And of course, as I said last week, You want to tune in this Thursday for our executive profile before we have our live broadcast, which is Carrie Zaleski, the outgoing chair of the Illinois Public Utility Commission. It is chock full of information that you will not want to miss on how the Public Utility Commission is one of the most important organizations affecting our ability to scale as industry and what you need to know and do about it. Please make sure that you're subscribed to the show. That'll help you not miss out on our twice weekly content just like this. Leave us a rating and review if you would, if you found this interesting and share it with someone else that helps us get found just the way that you found us. And if you've been wondering how you can partner with Suncast as a sponsor or get coaching from me personally, scale your clean energy business, transition into the industry as we talked about with Tristan, or just commune with other like-minded souls, you can find everything you need at mysuncast.com. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.